Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. This is Michael Wagner, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Welcome to Another Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. This is episode 178, and we are about to explore the big four once again. Yet again. We've had requests for this since we did the series, which, by the way, if you're joining us for the first time, we're an all-Metallica podcast. Each week, Ethan and I make time to get together to talk about our favorite metal band, the mighty Metallica. Mm. And we started the series, I don't know, 700 years ago? 726. Where we thought it'd be fun to do what the episode is, explore the big four. Explore them, yes. Meaning we'll take a record from one of the other three big four bands, Megadeth, Anthrax, Slayer, and we'll talk about the record, talk about its importance, the context, and uh, do a little bit of facts. What do we used to call that? What that, what that? The fact part. Did we have a specific name for it? Yeah, you did a little jingle where it was like you with reverb. Oh, no, that was uh, track by track. Oh, track by track, so that's not Th- that. That was for the Metallica records, yeah. Well, we used to do these little facts, so we're going to talk all about... I mean, this is an interesting record for a lot of reasons, right? It's it's Slayer's most popular record. It's considered one of the best heavy metal records of all time. And it's part of that group... First of all, the big four, we know them all. I just named them if you didn't That's know right. them. But it's also part of those big records by all those bands. Puppets, Among the Living, mm-hmm. and Peace Cells. Yeah. So, 86, 87 was just a huge year for thrash metal. Absolutely. And uh, to be honest with you, Metallica's my shit. They're my shit. Of course. I started the Metallica podcast. Yes. Yeah, we indeed did that. So, if you haven't heard. And we're for, you're a me- you kind of know Megadeth and Anthrax, but you're less about Slayer. Correct. I yeah. don't really know any of that stuff other than Metallica. So, for me, I truly am like getting to know these records. We're going to burn it all down with commentary. Uh, luckily for us, this album is only about 27 minutes long. It's very short, yeah. And, and there, there's a couple of little uh, tidbits of facts about that, too. It's interesting. Yeah, it's Rick Rubin's first time producing them. Uh, you know, they were, they were moving away from kind of the sound of their first two albums, signing to a hip-hop label. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, this record put them on the fucking map. Absolutely, it did. So we're going to talk all about that. We're going to have some fun with Slayer tonight. Uh, I'm really excited about at the end of the episode, we have a brand new Lunar Satan track to debut. Yes, we do. And this is our first collaboration on a Lunar Satan song. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I, uh, I did the drums for it. Now, when you hear the drums, I didn't actually play them. I programmed the drums. Right. I will gladly admit it. Right. I am not a metal drummer, but uh, over the years, I, I, if I may say so about myself, I've gotten pretty oh, dang good at programming drums, uh, where a lot of people can't tell that it's like a, yeah. it, it's real samples of drums. But uh, I, uh, Clint hit me up to do it the other day and uh, had some time and I programmed some stuff. I went with my gut on some fills and I sent it to Clint and he was like, this sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I'm in a couple of songwriting groups where every week we have to write a song. They're due midnight. What happens is you get a prompt. I'm in one with Bob Schneider and one with my friend Rachel Loy. You get a lyric prompt, and then every week you have to write a song with that lyric in it, and it has to, you have to turn it in by midnight on Tuesday. If you miss two weeks in a row, you're out of the group. Oh, wow. So when I sat down Monday morning 
late to the game as usual. I usually wait till the last fucking minute. Right. Because, you know, I got stuff going on. Of course, yeah. We, I have a million podcasts and I'm co-writing. I'm back to co-writing. Right. Uh, and then, of course, my wife and my kiddo and life's just busy, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, and we've been doing these quarantine covers, which we're going to talk about that a little later, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I waited to the last minute. I didn't know what was going to happen. And lo and behold, a fucking Lunar Satan song fell out of the sky. Amazing. Well, it fell from space. <laughs> from Satan, right. So, I mean, the last Lunar Satan song I wrote was probably a year ago. Yeah. So, um, super fun. Ethan did the drum programming. Our friend Chris Kakamis did the bass I put out the bat signal to you and Chris yeah. on super short notice, and I was like, hey, dudes, it needs to be done by tomorrow night. You both delivered really quick. Chris played on all the other Lunar Satan stuff. Amazing bass player. He lives in Vegas. and uh, Is he the one that does the bass channel? Yes. Yeah. It's called Basic Gear Review. Yeah, that's right. They do a bunch of cool shit over there where they review pedals, but they also do like fun things where like they'll do a whole cover um, YouTube of them playing bass on puppets, or mm-hmm. they did a really exciting one on Justice. They did one with, with a Lunar Satan song, uh, demoing yeah. the cliff pedal, right? Right. They did. They did a Lunar Satan bass cover uh, for "Set the Witch on Fire" again, again. And also, we mentioned a few weeks ago, or maybe last episode, that someone gave us the Saint Anger cassette. Mm-hmm. That was Chris. I'd forgotten. I thought it oh, might have been Angelo. He wrote it, yeah. in and basically said it wasn't me. I don't want to take the the credit. <laughs> Which was very kind of him to write in and say so that. So if you stick around to the end of the episode, you will hear the new Lunar Satan demo. Of course, the goal is to have Paul Moak either help me re-record or mix all these. Mm-hmm. So you're just going to hear the demo. It's a rough mix that I did, but I think it sounds fucking bitching. Yeah. The, I haven't even listened to the version two you sent me. The version one you sent me sounded awesome already. Right. So I'm excited to listen to it on this. So that'll come later. We're going to do some housekeeping here. Uh, we have uh, the Patreon. You're going to hear a commercial for that. It's just a way to support the show. Your support at this time is greatly appreciated as Ethan and I don't have jobs right now. Correct. Our entire touring industry is shut down and with good reason. Mm-hmm. As we navigate through this, we're still navigating through this pandemic and this virus. We are, and you know, and, and we're not, you know, following the lead of guys like Chase Rice and throwing random concerts in the middle of nowhere for a bunch of people with no masks. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say about that, bro. I uh, know. I, I I put out a little tweet about it, basically just alluding to the fact that, well, thanks for for, for doing your part to make sure I stay off the road longer. Yeah, I you saw know, because to me that's kind of what, what people are doing now. People are doing drive-in tours now, mm-hmm. and I think that's much smarter. You know, you've got this big space where your car parks, you can get in the back of your truck and watch the show. But this, you know, this guy was basically, you know, there's like only a thousand people there, but there's still a thousand people mashed up against the stage. It's singing every word to all the songs. And it's, I don't know, this, this, we're on the, they're on the shedding virus tour. That's right. <laughs> Shredding virus. Which was a, which was a lifted from a Pantera song, I believe. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Just seemed, I don't know, just yeah. seemed very irresponsible. My, my friends in the Paisley camp, Brad Paisley, they're doing gigs this weekend, but they're all driving. They're doing one here at Bridgestone, or not Bridgestone, uh, in the parking lot of uh, Nissan Stadium. Right, right. Yeah. yeah um, Toby Mack, who's a Christian artist, mm-hmm. uh, he announced a drive through tour or drive, drive in tour like a month ago or whatever. And so they're out doing those. And hey, the drive in theater industry is now back apparently like who i mean i've gone to a drive-in movie since i was a kid the best thing about that toby mac tour special guest jesus that's right you know they were worried about selling hard tickets the hard tickets were a little the the pre-sales were a little low Mm -hmm. so they had to pull out some stops and get a few more acts to sort of drum up interest and i heard that they they got a hold of jesus's agent jesus was caa yeah he is um which Toby Max with with uh, William Morris, but yeah, but they were they were able to they can some, coexist. They, they coexist. Yeah, they coexisted. Yeah, and so Jesus would make an appearance. I, th- I believe playing the what's the guitar that the guy the ambidextrous guy played with the 
both. Oh, Michelangelo, that guy. Is it Michelangelo? He goes by my, the, where he has the double neck guitar, but they go out like yeah, a and v. it's like a big heart or something. Yeah, I, his name is Michelangelo. I hear Jesus is going to be playing one of those. Yeah, he is. So if you don't have your tickets yet, I mean, now's the time. I know they're doing Watertown, Tennessee, because that's the only drive-in theater we have around here. It's a town made of water. It's all water. It's waterfalls and rivers and creeks and bends. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so you can do the Patreon. A really easy way to support the show without having to do anything like that is to just leave a positive review on iTunes and, of course, tell your buddies who like Metallica about your buddies over at Metal Every Podcast. And you can, they can come into the fam. They can get on the ride. We can, uh, we can frolic we in can, the autumn mist in a land called Hanalee. You can play basketball with Clint. I played basketball today. You can, uh, we can reminisce about the Michael Jordan documentary. You finished it, huh? I finished it uh, two nights ago. And Amazing, right? It's fantastic. I mean, there's a lot of stuff uh, as a fan of basketball for so many years that I knew about, but there was plenty more things that I did not know about. I loved it, man. It's very inspiring. Uh, it, it, like you said, it, it, it really makes you feel driven. Like you know what? I'm a lazy ass. Like I need to get off my butt and do something. Well, I've been playing basketball the last two weeks just to get some exercise. A few of my buddies are have been willing to come shoot hoops with me, and just even getting the ball into your hands. And like I've been like having fun pretending to take some of the iconic shots that Jordan takes. <laughs> yeah, right. like these crazy, you know, changing hands, doing these scoop layups mm-hmm. and fadeaways and. And then also running around for 30 minutes, you just get a real sense of, first of all, how out of shape I am. Mm-hmm. But then you get a real sense of the athletic prowess of these guys. I mean, just Absolutely. amazing athletes. It's rare you see an out of shape basketball player. Right. You well, know? if you could have seen me today at Shelby Park. Um, <laughs> I meant in the in the National <laughs> Basketball Association. It is amazing. If you haven't seen The Last Dance, you got to check it out. And I believe we have an email from Namarta, who, by the way, increased her pledge. We want to say thanks to Namarta Thank for you. doing that. She, she talks a little bit about The Last Dance. We'll get to that in a second. So those are ways you can support the show. There's a little bit of news we should get to, some cool stuff. Uh, first of all, Cliff Burton was named the 25th greatest bassist of all time, I believe, in a Rolling Stone, inter- uh, Rolling Stone article. Mm-hmm. Uh, listener Seth Catalino sent this to us, and I wanted to read the little blurb. All right. And then we can rip on this a little bit. It was pretty cool, Cliff, getting the, getting some love. The Absolutely. 50 greatest bass players of all time. He's 25th. Yeah. It says, when Metallica formed, all James Hetfield, Dave Mustaine, and Lars Ulrich wanted to do was rage on finger-breaking thrash metal. Until they met Cliff Burton. The bassist had been playing with a rival metal group, Trauma, and when they saw him play a jaw-dropping bass solo, they wanted him in Metallica so badly that they relocated from L.A. to his native Bay Area at his request once in the band, Burton introduced the guys to R.E.M., the Misfits, and Johann Sebastian Bach. Of Skid Row. Opening them up to new musicality as he added orchestral flourishes and bass virtuosity to some of their hardest-hitting songs. His bass solo anesthesia pulling teeth on their 1983 debut, Kill Em All, is an aggressive showcase of classical music improvisation and wah-wah lyricism, Ooh. which, by the way, is our new band. Wah-wah lyricism? Good night to our continent. We are wah-wah ly- lyricism. That's right. Uh, while he, his delicate intro to Damage Inc. in the middle of Orion showed just how beautiful Thrash could be. His concepts continued to resonate with the band after his death in a bus accident in 86. Lars would go on to say, no disrespect to anybody else, but he was at a different level. When it came time to put Anesthesia on a record, instead of it just being a bass solo, we turned it into more of a composition. It adds some different dynamics to it, almost like different acts, Act 1, Act 2, and Act 3. That sensibility was so spot on that when Metallica collaborated with the San Francisco Symphony in 2019, the orchestra's principal bass player wanted to perform Anesthesia in tribute to Burton. That, of course, is our friend, Scott mm. Pingle. Scott Pingle. Who has been on the show before. You can go back into the archives. And the archives, which and are around. find our wonderful conversation with Scott Pingle, 
which was one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. That was a blast. He was such a sweetheart, uh, amazing guy to talk to, and to get his perspective, not only going into that entire show of SNM two, but his perspective of honoring Cliff and paying tribute to him. Amazing, and that it was his idea too. Clear highlight of SNM two. Absolutely. Um, another thing in the news is we finally got an update on this Metallica vinyl club. Yeah, because it was late. It was late, so before the world went to shit, uh, Metallica announced their vinyl club where they were going to be sending four seven inches with unreleased songs uh, as kind of a collector's vinyl mm-hmm. club thing. I can't remember what it, how much it was. Maybe 75 bucks for the year. I can't remember. Yeah. But we jumped on that as soon as we could because it seems like such a cool thing. You and I are both advocates of vinyl, advocates oh, yeah. of physical media. You were rocking uh, some... Super Extra Gravity when I got here on yeah, vinyl. Yeah, Cardigans. Great Wonderful record. Cardig- Cardigans album. Now, here's the update we got, because yes, we should have gotten some of these by now, and here's what the boys had to say. I will now deliver their message to you via the podcasting airwaves. Deliver thy news. Uh, <laughs> it says, we're writing to update you on the status of our inaugural vinyl club. Like so many well-intentioned plans this year, COVID-19 derailed our timeline. We know you've been waiting a length of time. We never want to make you wait. And believe us, we're frustrated right along with you. We know that isn't an excuse, but it's important to us that you know it's not our intention to do you wrong. Manufacturing non-essential goods across several industries has been understandably and unavoidably delayed. To be perfectly honest, when we set out with this release, in a way we would do with any other, we did not expect to encounter the setbacks we have. That being said, things are moving forward just not as quickly as any of us would have liked. At this time, we expect the first single in your Vinyl Club membership to go out in early August, which is good news. We'll be sending you all the details about your first shipment, including the track listing and a sneak peek at the artwork later this month. We can tell you that it's going to feature a pair of live tracks from our visit to the hollowed grounds of Castle Donington. Oh, yes, of course. Back in 1987. We'll also notify you as soon as your shipment leaves our warehouse. We have some cool things on deck for the additional three 7-inch singles coming your way. And we've made adjustments to the schedule so that singles two, three, and four don't take so long. At least that's our plan for now. A massive thank you from all of us for your patience. Signed, the Metallica Club. Uh, Metallica. I imagine Lars sitting in a tower Mm -hmm. with a quill pen. An ivory tower? Perhaps. Perhaps the tower's made of ivory. Perhaps it's made of limestone. A Danish tower. And he's got a big quill pen. Mm -hmm. And he is pinning this letter... To the Met family, and then he and then he seals it and he signs it. He, he like stamps the wax, right? And he and he puts his signet ring in the wax, right? And then he and then a a fucking carrier pigeon, yeah, comes probably a hawk, a hawk, a carrier hawk, for sure, for sure, honey, please. And that's how this was delivered to my email. It was, yeah. Well, I think it ended up at you know. Q Prime Management, and someone else read his beautiful letter and right. just typed it out. Right, right, right. So that's the update on the Vinyl Club. If you sign up for it, cool. There were limited subscriptions. I, th- I think it's like the window closed for you to sign up for it. But the good news yeah. is we got it. We will be doing in-depth reports on all of it when we get it. Mm-hmm. I'm Absolutely. really looking forward to oh, it. Yeah. I guess you and I will have to fight to the death to see who gets to keep the seven inches. Well, because because we're we're basically sharing the membership. We're sharing it. Yeah. It's for the podcast. It's for the podcast. Well, we can what we can do is just as they show up, you spend you spend a week or two with it, right? Or let's say a week with it. You come over, we do an episode, and then that next week I'll spend a week with. We'll we'll, we'll just we'll share. It'll be like a child. Yeah, we got to share our toys. We'll have a custody battle. That's right. We'll have a we'll have a brutal Kramer versus Kramer mm-hmm. style. Uh, knockdown drag out custody battle and we'll play it all cool. out publicly we'll air our dirty laundry publicly love it can't wait 
Well, okay. <laughs> well, there's that update. Now, the last thing I'll say, and this is really brief, but Metallica Chapter Day was Saturday, June 27th. And so um, I guess we're a little late on that, but we I wanted to say just lots of love and respect to all the chapters out there. I know mm-hmm. a lot of those people are friends and fans of Metal Up Your Podcast. Absolutely. And uh, I don't want to start naming them because I know I'll leave some people out. I don't want to bum anybody out. But we love the Metallica chapters and uh, we celebrate with you guys. And uh, if you're out there in the world and you're a Metallica fan and you feel like maybe you don't have any buddies who, other than Clint and Ethan, of course. Of course, yeah, we're your buddies. Uh, to talk to you about your love for Metallica, you ought to investigate if there's a local chapter. Yeah, reach out to me. I mean, I, uh, I would imagine most of them are at least on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, I know that like here in Tennessee, we have the Freightlands of Tennessee, which is mm-hmm. Blake. And uh, he's got a Facebook page. So if you're in Tennessee, for instance, you can go on Facebook, look up the Freightlands of Tennessee and find them. Um, you can also just, if you just Google Metallica chapters, there's a there's a section of Metallica's official website. Are they on there? That has that has information about each chapter. Oh, great. That's awesome. Yeah. There you go. Metallica.com, everybody. And, and you know, we have, we're really lucky. We have a lot of listeners all over the world. This isn't just in the States. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, there are Metallica chapters all over the world. So we love you guys. The work you're doing is really important and cool. You guys are bringing people together to celebrate music. You're giving people an outlet. Mm-hmm. You're giving people uh, hope that they're not, al- they're not lonely Metallica nerds. Correct. Yeah. Uh, while everyone's listening to Billie Eilish. So, Go check that out. Get involved. I think a lot of these people just get together once a week and share a meal. And yeah, and just hang out. Especially, I mean, obviously when the band's touring and stuff like that, a lot of chapters will get together. They'll host parties, uh, host any kind of gathering or whatever. That's not happening right now. But uh, maybe they're still doing some stuff uh, locally. So yeah, look into that and, and uh, find a way to connect with uh, your local chapter. Right. Ed- Edgar Baradas, who's with California to Self-Destruct, he's a great friend of the show. He's been on the podcast several times. He sent us a nice thing where he was sort of celebrating. He's a great advocate for the chapters, right. he's heavily involved, and he's a, you know just a great Metallica fan. But uh, he sent us a nice thing where he he gave us a shout out and said, "We're our own chapter." Oh, for we are many. We are the worldwide chapter. <laughs> All right, cool. So we're on the socials. Go follow us on it's the so easy. socials: Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Friendster, Stitcher, MySpace, MySpace Zanga, Pendow, GeoCities, 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 Angel Fire. Wow. Yeah. What else you got in there? Up yeah, in this noodle of mine. That's about it. Up <laughs> in this noodle of mine. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to just leave it at that. The best way to get a hold of us is via email. Metal up your podcast show at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys. We get emails every week. We pick five to read so we can dip into the community, say hello, take the temp, as it were. Take that temp, man. I'm using just some medical language for fun. Well, you know, when you put the abreve on temp, it's perfect. Well, I'm an efficient man. Mm-hmm. I like to cut corners. I like to save time. That saves a lot of time to do and some And sometimes abreve. you save time by putting the hard abreve well, on things like temp. For instance, we don't, we don't call it the electronic mail portal. Not anymore. No, take some time out of that. Right. It's the email portal. Yeah, absolutely. Which we're going to dip into right now in what we, spoiler alert, call the, the email portal. portal. <laughs> All right, our first email is from Stan Pearl. He says, hey, guys, I'm sitting here watching the Metallica Monday Bogota show during the bass solo where Kirk and Jason are jamming on Misery and the sanitarium intros. And I suddenly want Kirk and Jason, a Kirk and Jason side project. How great would that be? Both of them love the blues and flow so well together. I know it'll probably never happen, but during a pandemic, you got to have dreams. Of course you do. 
honey, please. Um, what do you guys? Honey, you got to dream. You got You have to dream. I tell Lucius all the time. I know you're just a dog, but you're not just a dog to me. And she sometimes Lucius will be dreaming, and I say to him, but quietly because I don't want to wake Lucius. I'll say, dream a little dream. You have to dream, little dog. Dream a little dream. And I tell Lucius this too, even though he doesn't understand it. I say, Lucius, if you build it, they will come. They will. If you build a baseball diamond in the middle of a field. Well, a little small diamond because he's a small dog. Well, for a dog, of course. And I say, Lucius, are you listening? And he looks at me knowingly. And I say, if you build it, Lucius, they will come. Like other dogs. Valentino will be there. Well, at least Valentino will be there because Joyce will come hang out with us too on the diamond. (laughs) What is this? A diamond for dogs? (laughs) Uh, he says, what do you guys think? Uh, what might a set list look like if they did some covers and parts of Metallica songs they wrote? Roaming and Dying, Stand the Mighty, Stands like Pearl. Um, I can say this. If they tried to start a side project back then, that'd be a no-go. <laughs> we know we know what happened with Echo One Brain. Mr. Jimmy James Sr. Jr. Sr. Esquire, not too happy about the old side project. Not too stoked. Um, I mean, I think realistically, I don't think this kind of thing would happen. I mean, I know that they're still cool with Jason and their friends. Yeah. But I don't they're think... They're business partners. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they're like spending time so like together. James, Kirk and I are going to maybe put a band together. We might do some special like corporate shows just for fun. What do you think? And then James just plays the end of All Within My Hands where he goes, kill, 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 kill. I don't know what they'd play. I mean, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. A side project usually isn't consistent of like... Hey, let's play some of the riffs we wrote in our band. Well, here's what could happen. I mean, Jason could sing those songs, and it'd sound cool. Yeah, totally. But, I mean, it would seem weird if they if they started, like, a side project and they were playing Metallica parts with Jason. It's like you're just you're covering your own band. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, in general, a side project is a whole new project, you know, that you do on the side that but there is are bands, new music and stuff. You know, that's true. But think about, like, when Chris Cornell was playing with Rage... Or with Audio Slave, which yeah. was the band of Rage, they yeah. would do Soundgarden songs. Yeah, they would. And they would do Killing in the Name of. But that kind of stuff to me is like a whole new band. I will say, man, I hate to say this about Chris, because Chris is Michael Jordan level. Now, those of you who know me <laughs> know that that is a hell of a compliment. For sure. Because to yeah. me, Michael Jordan's the greatest of all time. Right. Uh, to use a popular cultural phrase, the goat. The goat. Now, Chris Cornell is MJ level, as far as I'm concerned. Of course, yeah. Frontman's songwriter. Agreed. Uh, him doing Killing the Name of. It's weird. It doesn't work. He doesn't have that Zach De La Rocha vibe. No, God, nobody does. No one does. You're no right. one does. You that can't guy, really it, recreate that. No, that right? dude is one of a kind. Yeah. E- even when, so I, so Prophets of Rage. When yeah. They, they, the three, Which was run D, Chuck D. It was Chuck D and Be Real, uh, for, who's from Cypress Hill. Be Real. Uh, you, I'm being real. Um, <laughs> For real. I actually I actually saw them live at a festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was kind of a tribute show. Right. Uh, they had a couple originals, but they were doing Rage songs, and then yeah. they were doing like a couple, a little bit of Public Enemy and Cypress Hill. And it was cool. But it's like- It was really cool. I mean, I love watching Chuck D do, you know, Bomb Track or whatever, but- Because it, it's real rappy. I mean, it, that, totally. that, that makes more sense than, you know, Chris- wasn't a rapper. No, he he was not. No. And Zach rapped. I mean, bomb track. Here comes another funky radical bomb track. That's a fucking rap, dude. dude. His shit and rage is amazing. Bomb track started with a sketch in my notebook. If if you haven't heard this, by the way, Zach did this random little project with the drummer of Mars Volta, who's also in Queens of the Stone Age, mm. called One Day as a Lion. Wow. And it's it, it, he's rapping, but uh, musically it's, it's just super a bunch cool. of roaring. 
It's a lot of roaring. So yeah. jungle sounds and roaring. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but no, it's it's a really cool project. Um, but you're right. Yeah, Chris Cornell doing that it just wasn't. But I'll tell you what. When he was with Audio Slave, it's the first time I ever saw this. Where on those when he would play live with Audio Slave, which by the way, Audio Slave is the shit. They're a great band. An amazing band with amazing songs. Especially that first record. Largely due to Chris. You know. Oh yeah. Like, like a, a stone, stone. Are you kidding me? I mean, and show me how to live and gasoline. Cochise, anyway, that's everyone knows this. This yeah. is known. This is very known, yeah. But but I was watching a, a live Auto Slave show on YouTube. This was like back when YouTube first came out, like mm-hmm. 2008 or something. And it was the first time I ever saw Chris do Black Hole Sun acoustic. Oh, yeah. So he would come out. You know, Audio Slave was huge. They were a big band, yeah. Plus, obviously, it's a super group from Rage and, and Soundgarden. So they were like headlining festivals and selling some fucking hard tickets. Man. Absolutely. So he'd come out to like an arena of 20,000 after they'd burn it down for 60 minutes and he would do Black Hole Sun as an encore by mm-hmm. himself. It's so good. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's real good. Then they do Killing in the Name of and you're like, oh no. Yeah, no, it's kind of weird. That made more sense for them to do like, do like the audio slave stuff and then Chris just does one or two by himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah. made way more sense. Or even if the band was playing the song, it's still Chris singing it. It's weird when he goes and sings a song that Zach normally does. But the yeah, the band was able to easily adapt to Soundgarden, but for Chris to sort of take on that amazing rap rock vibe mm-hmm. of Zach De La Rocha is just way easier for Chuck D yeah totally you know I totally. mean that's his game I mean Zach was probably a huge uh, hugely influenced by Chuck D so totally. it, it made sense alright well thanks for the email and the interesting question that was fun to think about and a neat shirt to have Dave Fredericks who's a patron says just finished episode 177 St. Anger he called it Stanger not a typo Stanger bonus DVD to be honest I completely forgot about this live session until I pulled out my physical Stanger CD pack which has been stowed away in a box probably since 03 until last week's podcast. See, we help people find buried treasure in their own fucking houses, it's, bro. It's in your house. We we just drew the treasure map. He says, <laughs> he says, oh, <laughs> did you ever get into Harry Potter? Oh, yeah. I've seen all those. We're rewatching it with our daughter. So oh, we just, so we just much did uh, Prisoner of Azkaban last night, and they ha- that's when they introduced the Marauders map, Yeah, which is so fun. The, I have friends that like will refuse to watch those because they think there's kids' movies. Lame. Fuck that. Those are some of the most fun movies. Like that and Lord of the Rings and stuff. It's like... Lord of the Rings is definitely not a kid's movie. No, it's not. And there's parts of Harry Potter where I'm like, this is some dark stuff. From, okay, Especially well, Deathly Hallows. Well, I'm about to get pretty nerdy on this, but here's when Harry Potter quits being kid shit. Is the last scene of Goblet of Fire, which mm-hmm. is book four, when they're in the cemetery. Yeah. They're playing that game for the Goblet of Fire, right. but Voldemort hijacks it. And that's when you know they're in the cemetery, and that's when he kills that kid. Mm-hmm. Like the good-looking athletic kid, yeah, and that's when like the book and the film get scary, yeah. And for dude, sure. after that, Order of the Phoenix, the fifth book, super dark, yeah, very dark. And then you're right, Half Blood Prince, and then Deathly Hollows. It's like adult, dark, scary shit. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. So I don't know. I actually don't know how we started talking about that. I guess it doesn't matter. And that's what I love about when we're doing episodes together, bro. I know. Tangent City, it's bro. It's so much fun. Welcome, welcome, to back ta- to welcome to Tangent City. city. Tangent. I'm going to award myself the fucking key to Tangent City. Tangentville. I'm going to give myself the key to the city of Tangent City. Metapod Podcast has thus been awarded the key to the city of Tangent Town. <laughs> okay, he says, I wish the album had been produced with the quote-unquote feel and nuances of this performance. We agree. I think we said as much in the mm-hmm. episode. He says, maybe if Rob had been around to record the album, which I totally agree, Rob would have brought the normal heat. Yeah. Bob Rock is an amazing musician and obviously an amazing producer. And he stood in the gap and he fucking kept that band together. Yes. 
And I love him for that. I love Bob Rock. Of course. But he's not the bass player that Rob... He's not a prop... It'd be like me playing bass for Metallica. Right, yeah. It, it, it would, it's serviceable. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't be... It's like having you do the drums for Lunar Satan or Brian King from Reality Suite who did the drums on uh, the charioting and voices my last Lunar Satan song. I can program some shit, but I don't think like a drummer. I don't right, have that yeah. intuition. Mm-hmm. If you compared my shitty programming drums that I sent you as kind of a mock-up to right. what you brought to the table in terms of how a fill would work here, yeah, chances you were taking, you were thinking of it as a drummer. And exactly, Rob would yeah. have brought that same vibe. He would have, And that's sure. what he did in that live session. So anyway, uh, yes, we agree. All that to say we agree. <laughs> Look, I'm going to take us to Tangent City because I have the fucking key to the city. Listen, the key is right here in HQ1 right I'm now. I'm wearing it around my neck like a fucking locket. Exactly. Don't throw me in the river. I'll sink because this key's heavy, bro. I'm not throwing you in the river. Don't worry. I wouldn't do that to you. Don't throw me in the river, bro. I, I won't. James's vocals sound so much more quote-unquote Hetfield than on the album. I wonder if any of the guys were thinking that some aspects of this live recording would have been great on the album. At any rate, this will be my go-to Stanger recording over the album version. Thanks for another great commentary, and thanks for not reading any Cannibal Corpse lyrics. <laughs> I think we've retired that, uh, that segment. I mean, my intuition about how the boys feel about that live session is they did it and probably never checked it out again. No, they, probably they not. moved on. But you know what? We, like, we talked about it last week. I mean, they they sold it. I mean, James, everyone looked like they were having a blast. Yeah. Lars got the MVP from us. Mm-hmm. Um, James, he, he looked so excited to be in this new season of life, being newly sober and like playing these songs back in the studio with his, with his brothers. It was great, it, but it's still one of those things like, yes, I think that session sounds better than the record. But you know how it is too, when you when you write a song, like when you're down here in HQ1, which, you know, HQ1, if you guys haven't seen Ethan's kind of quarantine sort of YouTube uh, sort of rig rundown of your studio, I which did, was yeah. super fun, by yeah. the way. Um, you know, you're down here with all these amazing instruments. You can play any instrument. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're writing a song and you put it all together. But when And this is how St. Anger was made, right? It was like sort of put together Frankenstein, like maybe some kind of monster. Uh, maybe a monster. These are the eyes that play guitar on logic uh whatever uh that's a whole different thing than when you put it in a room and put it in the real world yeah and burn it down as a band right and if you're a performer which metallica is the consummate live band of course the joy of them putting it all together live on the floor that's what's coming through yeah totally seeing if they live and stand which they do in that recording in that session absolutely they do yeah for sure as we said they should have they should have fucking written the songs the way they did hodgepodge copy and paste mm-hmm. writing then they should have performed it together and rehearsed yeah. it then fucking record then it. record it yeah yeah you gotta hack that stuff out and kind of you know do a little weeding and i'm all gonna that call james i'm gonna call james right now and be like dude yeah, call him we'll, we'll we'll throw that segment in later hey james it's me listen i have an idea i have, I have an idea of- remember the album you made in 2003 <laughs> well listen to this idea maybe you guys can do it again okay i'm gonna get through this uh oh okay that was the end was so it. thanks yeah. david appreciate the email <laughs> thanks david uh, next email is from Michael. He says, hey, brothers. Sorry. Hey, brothers. There it is. Uh, I was having a shitty start to my day, so I put on the latest Metal Peer Podcast, Saint Stanger, let's say Stanger, okay. DVD episode. Awesome to hear uh, some poetry with Papa, but I was thrilled to hear the resurrection of misconnections with the Joyces. Honey, please. Everyone loves it. Uh, my day just got better after hearing that, so thank you for the laugh and bringing that back. Keep it up, brothers. Proud to be a patron. Uh, please give my regards to Torben. Thank you. If he's flying around, yes, I am. Uh, I hope he's well. I am. Peace. Thank you, Michael. Awesome, Michael. All right. we he- This next email oh my gosh. is a blast from the past. 
steamroller action. This is an early this j- is joke OG. on the show. Yeah, OG writer, o- OG listener. He even I mean, says this so. is this 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 almost got me as, as excited as if it said Samim. This is the guy who said he threw. I think he said he threw the black album out of his car and steamrolled it with action. All right, so <laughs> he writes, "Hey guys, OG listeners, still on the ride, which we're so grateful for all of you who." have been with us yeah. this long. You know, people hop on and off all the time Thank depending you. on what's going on in their lives and and uh, it's cool to hear some OG listeners. He says, uh, I'm the 53-year-old Metallica guy. Love them since Ride came out. Just listen to your St. Anger playthrough. He says, so I... <laughs> okay, this is going to get into some cannibal, cannibal Corp shit. All right. He says, so I'm at a Christmas party at a $500,000 house in the extreme suburbs belonging to a friend of my wife's. I'm having an okay time but haven't really met anyone I enjoyed talking to yet. Then I hear someone mention Cannibal Corpse. This is like a misconnection. <laughs> this is crazy. He says, I don't know anything about them other than hearing that they had a song called Fucked by a Knife, which that sounds like them. That's one of their ballads, I think. <laughs> he says, a long time ago, and that was enough for me to stay away. He says, and I, as an aside, he says, and I love Slayer and hardcore stuff. So he likes deep hardcore shit. Sure. But even for him, a song like Fucked by a Knife, you're like, all right, fuck that. He says, anyway, I turned to look, and there's one guy my age wearing a Star Wars ugly Christmas sweater. Holding and adoring a little white poodle dog, probably named Lucius. Oh, probably. Turns out a hell of a nice guy, and we had a good time talking about old school metal, and he's the husband of my wife's friend, but, dun dun dun, he loves Cannibal Cannibal Corpse. He says, what the fuck? I cannot get past the lyrics, and I'm with you guys that it's sick shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking about our friend Andy Salter, who, like, the guy that's defending Cannibal Corpse, he's just hating this right now. He's hating this, but he also kind of started it. You brought the cannibal corpse to the table. Yeah, we they, simply listen, responded in full force. All we did was do our due research. We simply responded in kind. <laughs> we love you, though. He says, but the dramatic contrast with a Zinfandel sipping suburbanite cuddling a poodle in the Christmassy kitchen and goddamn cannibal corpse was just amazing and hilarious to me. That is awesome. He said, and so we're going to move out of cannibal corpse now. He says, you guys are like Metallica, by the way. You started out strong and kept building. You're dedicated to professionalism. You pay tons of attention to your fans, and your plans don't include fucking sandwiches. <laughs> Steamroller action. Man, so good to hear from you again, dude. Yeah, Thank you for, for writing in. And uh, here's the deal about your puddle cuddling suburbanite white Zinfandel fucking frenzy, a box wine guy who loves Cannibal Corpse. Put him on the FBI watch list. He's probably yeah. a fucking serial killer. Make it, make it, make it. That's all I'm saying. Make an anonymous phone call. It's pretty easy. Maybe you call the... That, look, I'm not saying anything crazy. All I'm saying is he's probably a serial killer. That's all. It's no big deal. I mean, that's just what it is. I'm just... I'm just saying 2 plus 2 is 4, bro. 2 and, plus 2 is 4, right? And you, and I, Ethan, last, is 2 plus 2 4? Last, I can get a calculator out, but last I checked it was. Your quotes? And also, I'm concerned for that dog. Poor dog. Yeah, I mean, someone might might want to call, you know, ASPCA. He's just he's just stroking the dog at the Christmas party. He's like, "What's the dog's name?" Uh, uh, Clementine. <laughs> Don't worry, Clementine. Soon all of our guests will leave. All of our guests will have had their fill of hors d'oeuvres. They'll have they'll have conked out on eggnog. And you and I, yes, will retire down to the man cave where we'll listen to Fucked by a Knife <laughs> at high decibel levels, because that's normal. I'm not a killer. Two oh, plus two is not four. I want the neighbors to hear these lyrics as well, so I'll I open the windows. <laughs> All right. One more email, and we're out of here. email is from Marta, our good friend, who writes in a lot. We love her. Uh, hello, hi, and greetings, Hello. she says. 
Uh, Clint, it's been great talking about The Last Dance. As I make my way through the doc, I'll be looking forward to discussing some more of it with you. Well, as you've as you've heard, we love this documentary. Uh, Ethan, I, uh, that's me. Oh, my gosh. I also love uh, that. I know you also love The Last Dance. I was wondering if you had time to check out The Last Ride, The Undertaker documentary. Uh, similar production and style to The Last Dance. I know you're certainly. I know you're a fan of the early WWF slash WWE stuff, as am I. Uh, and I've heard great things about it. I've only seen clips of it myself, but it's next on my list. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. She says, "By the way, I'm sure both of you will get a kick out of the story. I was getting gas today and listening to some older podcast episodes while I was handing the attendant my credit card. Clint's wild mechanical laughter started maniacal. Sudden- Sorry, I- what did I say? Mechanical." <laughs> It sound, you sound like Psychotron. You just wind me up. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Uh, Clint's maniacal laughter started suddenly and loudly, I may add. Uh, and the gas station attendant gave me a not-so-nicest not stare. But I loved every minute of it from Namarta. Well, Loving that's every amazing. minute of it. Down, 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 down. Yes, I do. Uh, I have not seen um, The Last Ride, um, which is The Undertaker recently retired from wrestling and been doing it for like, 20 when was his debut it was like 91 i think 90 90 so jesus christ careers can last that long in wrestling 30 years yeah wow fuck so apparently this documentary it's on the wwe network if you subscribe to that i i don't um but if someone's got an extra password they want to share with me i just so i can watch that one thing one million i'll delete it um uh i would love to see it no i've 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 watched wrestling since i was a kid you know i go off the ride a few times but uh, I would love to watch a documentary. I'm a sucker for any documentary as long as it's well done. <laughs> I will. There's a documentary on Cannibal Corpse called "Fucking Centuries of Torment." People keep telling us to watch. I know, I, and I still kind of want to watch it. Okay, I'll let you watch it, and you tell you report back to me. <laughs> I will. I'll report back to you. Hang on to the key to that city, because uh, you know, if I what if I get in this dark thing like hang you, on to it, honey. It's around my neck like a mastron. What if I come to you and I'm like, dude, you just don't understand. Cannibal Corpse is fucked. What if you watch it and you're like, I get it now. And then you become, then like you're wearing a shirt that says fuck by a knife on it the next day. <laughs> I'm writing really chill reggae songs called <laughs> fuck by a knife. Here's the deal. If I'm a gas station attendant and someone's like checking out and they're listening to a podcast and then me comes across the fucking speakers doing my maniacal laughter, here's what I'm doing. I'm laughing. I'm loving it. And I'm asking Namarta, who's that funny guy you're what listening to? What is that? Because there's nothing funnier than a little bit of here's my question while you're doing your mechanical laughter the question to namarta is was your car like right there with the door open or did you have it on your phone or how did you hear it is my question i hope that her car stereo was just cranked and it was your 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 maniacal laughter was coming from the speakers in the car to make it the loudest it could be with some like super fucked out reverb Oh, there's always reverb on the, on the mechanical. I want to call it mechanical laughter. I know, dude. It really is. I really think that mechanical If Psychotron did maniacal laughter, it would be called mechanical laughter. I speed dirt. I speed dirt. I'm like a cyborg. I'm psychotron. Ha, 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 ha. I laugh. <laughs> we end our lives as psychotronic moles. <laughs> well, here's the deal. We had a lot of fun in Tangent City. I'm going to wear the key until, uh, until, until I fucking die, bro. Hey, man. Uh, if you go first, I'll take it. Right. If not, just bury it. You'll be buried with you. And then you'll unlock the door oh. to my heart? I will unlock the portal to was, more tangents. I was going to do Tony Braxton's Unchain My Heart. Unchain my heart. Say you'll love me again. Uncry these tears. 
<laughs> All right. It's as easy as that. You can write in metal up your podcast show at gmail.com. Ethan and I will read it on the podcast. Yes, we will. We will talk about whatever the fuck you want. We will go to Tangent City. We will fucking crush the city like MJ and fucking the finals playing the Utah Jazz in 1998 yep. and 97. And with that, we'll exit the, the email, email portal. portal. Hey everyone, this is Ethan and Clint. We're here to tell you about supporting the show via Patreon. That's right. Every week, Ethan and I work hard to bring you the best Metallica content possible. If you think the show has value, consider supporting us on a financial level at Patreon. For $5 a month, or the price of two cups of coffee, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast continues to grow in quality and content. But that's not all. In addition to being able to help sleep at night for supporting your favorite podcast, we've also come up with incentives to say thank you that are exclusively available to patrons. For example, for a pledge of $5 or more, you immediately get free downloads of every cover our world black and ep ticket giveaways for shows like snm2 and slain castle box sets rare vinyl metallica memorabilia like snm2 guitar picks email priority meaning we'll read your email first on the show with a chance to ask guests like hailstorm jay weinberg of slipknot and metallica row crew your very own questions and the opportunity to come on the show as a guest for our metal tales bonus episodes in which you can tell us all about any Metallica show you've been to in the past. All this and more for becoming a patron and supporting Metal Up Your Podcast. We couldn't do this show without you, and to everyone on the ride with us, we sincerely thank you. Peace. Adios. All right. Well... We are a Metallica podcast, but let's talk about some Slayer. Well, because that's the beauty of the Explore the Big Four series, my friend. Is right. Because it's, it's in the Metallica universe. Right. The Metalliverse. Metalliverse. It's like if, uh, you know, we were uh, in we were a Star Wars podcast, and it's like, we're going through all, the, all, the, Star, all the Star Wars movies. <laughs> but then it's, you know, to me, it's we're like... We're going to say late when I should tag the clothes. To me, it's just... So people don't understand Jar Jar Binks. He's super misunderstood. Uh, listen, Jar Jar Binks was a cannibal corpse fan. And listen, he knew his shit when it came to grindcore metal. He had funny eyes, and his favorite song was Fuck by a Knife. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck by a Knife is good, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, I'm a, yes, I'm Fuck by a Knife. Misa love cannibal Misa corpse. Misa love a centuries of torment. <laughs> Misa come blood, too. <laughs> But in the Star Wars universe, it's fucked by a lightsaber. Oh, God. Holy shit. Hey, welcome back to doing shows in person. This is okay. Fun. Okay. <laughs> I'm sweating right now. It's so hot. What were you saying studio. about Star Wars? You were saying something about Star Wars. I don't know. Wars. It didn't matter. It, it made for better content. We're talking about Explore the Big Four. Well, I was just saying, like, it's in the same universe. It's like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we could talk about the main George Lucas films or whatever, or all the all the just, uh, official Star Wars films, but then it's like, you know what? We're going to step aside here real quick and talk about The Mandalorian, or we're going to talk about, you know, uh, one of the, the the solo movie. You know, it's like an offshoot of the same thing. Whatever, right. You know what I'm talking about. I need, to, I need to not explain myself anymore. The Mandalorian. Mandalorian. It's a great series, by the way. Well, here's what we're going to do before we listen. <clears throat> Is we're going to talk a little bit about the record because this, this we mentioned at the top of the show this record's super fascinating, even just from a cultural standpoint, right? Even just in the history of metal. Yes. Uh, now my loyalties obviously lie with the great Metallica. Of course, of course. 
But uh, let's talk about how this record got burnt down, right? So you and I both astutely made astutely. separate notes. So here's what I'm going to do, Ethan. I'm going to look through my notes that I made, and you're going to look through yours, and we're going to just sort of complete circles here and there. Yes, I will. Of course, yes. yes, yes. It'll be as if we're finishing each other's seances. Seance, of course, yes. I brought my Ouija board. You did. The only thing is, I brought my Ouija board, and I'm hoping we can play it later. Here's the only thing. We have to play it in the nude. The The spirits tend not to show up unless... We're nubile, nude babes. See, I've only played it that way. We have to go into the forest, we have to be nude, and we have to rub Joyce's, trademark, Joyce's almond butter. Yeah, I have a jar of it in the fridge. We're good. good. Uh, And luckily, there's we we could, three blocks from my house, there's a forest, so we're good. Okay, good. We need a deep, dark, scary forest. Okay, so I'm going to start reading some of these facts. Now, Ethan, anything I gloss over in my notes that you may have, you just feel free to jump on in. Okay. Now, this album was released on October 7th. Actually, uh, I'm just <laughs> October 7th, 1986, by Def Jam Recordings, produced by the great Rick Rubin, who, of course, would go on to produce a couple Death, things. Death, well, his career is amazing. We have a whole episode on Rick Rubin. We'll also refer you to the, the archives. The archives, yes. But, of course, Death Magnetic, which, <clears throat> you know, linked to the St. Anger. When we're talking Metallica, we're taking a little break from that. We're in the St. Anger era, mm-hmm. right? And uh, by the way, next week we're going to be listening to the Presidio sessions. We're going to dive deep into the sort of um, uh, un- unused songs from right. those sessions. Yeah. Now, Death Magnetic was a big deal because Rick Rubin, for whatever reason, it's not obvious to me in the making of the, the record, was really instrumental in getting the band back to their thrash roots. Right. Um, getting them interested in, in in revisiting what was great and powerful about yes. like Master of Puppets. Exactly. That's why you have songs like All Nightmare Long that harken back to something like Disposable Heroes and you know, you have the fourth song ballad, you know, The Day That Never Comes. They start right. off with a banger with a big intro like a la battery, black and etc. Um <clears throat> so that's interesting. This was Slayer's first collaboration with Rick Rubin, their third studio album, well received by fans and critics, bringing Slayer to the attention of the mainstream metal audience and often cited as one of the greatest heavy metal records ever. It is. Uh, fun fact, too, mm-hmm. uh, as far as the personnel on the record, uh, was engineered by Mr. Andy Wallace, mm-hmm. who not only, uh, he mixed the record as well, he also is responsible for mixing a little record called Nevermind. Wow, I didn't know Nirvana, that. Uh, also mixed a Reliant K record that I was on. Wow. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't realize that he engineered mixed Rain and Blood. Yeah. And uh, when I was going through some uh, notes today, I was just like, wait, Andy Wallace did that? Holy shit. So you've worked, did you? I never got to meet him, no. It was one of those things where like we recorded the record in Nashville and sent it off to him. Usually, or... yeah, usually at that level that you were at with Reliant K, and obviously with Nirvana and, yeah. and Slayer, uh, <clears throat> you're not really part of the mixing. When you're at that level, these guys are so good that- Yes, totally. They're not like mixing with, maybe, maybe the, your lead singer might have been privy to like, rough mixes and had notes maybe i mean we got mixes back and it was one of those things where we kind of all collectively threw out our ideas yeah. and then we got sent back to andy all of you just basically said turn me up i, I had i had one correspondence with him and basically i got his email from our manager at the time and, and i said hey i just want to send him a thank you email you know so i thanked him for the mixes and how did great you send him sound. a singing telegram yes yeah singing with with Kendall, Kendall well, I, sent him a, I sent him a, a singing bush a singing bush yeah. the band bush you, bush was available to hire, and then they'll go to any bloke's house and sing "Let's Rain." Yeah, M- much like in Three Amigos, a literal singing bush. We can send the band bush to sing 
to you. Well, we have to update. Yeah. So yeah. The, so then there's like, I'm knocking, by the way. Come in. Oh, hi. No need to come in. We're hit hard by Ethan Luck, uh, resident of Nashville, Tennessee, eats vegan cheese. We're here to sing you all hit song, oh. Glycerina's Way. Oh, thank okay. you for mixing over long Kai record. Wow, thank you for coming. Must be your skin. I'm sinking in. Thank you for mixing our wow. record. It's Sound- cool. Sounds really neat when I'm on my feet. Wow. You're really cool. Take me to school. Everyone get in here. This sounds great. Why, you sound just like the record. Thank you. That wasn't a Bush album. That was me. Wow. Intimating Bush. If, I, um, if we were in the same room, I would I would have thought Gavin Rostad was here. It's amazing to think about a guy who can mix such different things. Yes. Because to, 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 obviously, Nevermind is one of the greatest, um, you know, early 90s kind of grungy rock records of all mm-hmm. time. Oh, yeah. Uh, that will go down in all of history as long as there are human beings, for sure. But then also something like Slayer. And, and Rick Rubin, too. I mean, I'm sure we talked about this a lot on the Rick Rubin episode, but Def Jam was a hip-hop label yeah LL I mean, cool he, j run dmc raising hell beastie boys first record My, uh, data i mean rick rubin at, at this point he was very crucial in breaking some now legendary hip-hop acts yeah right right on, i mean for sure run dmc i mean the beastie boys alone he i mean rick rubin only did the first beastie boys record but that record yeah fight for it to party exploded that band well here's what i found interesting about that in terms of rick coming into slayer's life is slayer was managed by brian slagle they were on metal blade records right so I guess what had happened is Rick had expressed some interest in Slayer. He had caught a show or something in Los Angeles where he's from and where, or where he was working at the time. I think he's a Brooklyn cat, but where he was yeah, at the York. time. And then of course Slayer's an LA band. Uh, so Dave Lombardo heard that Rick was interested. So he kind of found his info and reached out. The rest of the band members and Brian Slagle were kind of hesitant because it was a hip hop album. Right. Yeah. That didn't make sense to them. But I guess they had a, I guess Slayer was kind of hot off their first two albums, and people were interested. And Brian Slagle, much like uh, Johnny Z, I think he'd realized he'd taken them as far as they could go. Correct, yeah. And so he was just helping them level up. Yeah, and, this is the lo- most logical next step for you, because like... Because Def you, Jam is a huge label. You yeah, know? at this point. And, and I, you can understand the hesitance, because it's like, wait, you put out LL Cool J and right. Run DMC or whatever. Mama said, knock you out, but we're doing Angel of... Death, but when so. you watch old stuff, interviews and uh, footage of Rick Rubin working with these hip hop artists, he at the time has a beard and long hair and is wearing like metal shirts. Like he knew his stuff. He wasn't, and I'm sure bef- even before all this, it was surprising for hip hop artists to come in and work with this metal looking dude from New sure. York. You know, white guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, <clears throat> so they had a bunch of pitch meetings where a bunch of labels were interested, but but they ended up signing with Def Jam because Rick according to legend gave the most passionate like bid like you know like he really he really saw a lot of potential in slayer mm-hmm. and what he could do and he delivered that i mean it's a legendary metal album yeah and uh, absolutely it, and even even the band members like hanneman and, and carrie king would go on to say like we just never knew that we could make a record where you could hear everything so well it's like yeah. almost like it, 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 early thrash including paul curcio doing kill em all mm-hmm. they're not known for how good they sound they sound shitty right I mean, dude, the, the 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 first two Slayer records, uh, Shona Mercy and uh, Hell, Hell, Hell Awaits, Hell Awaits yeah. they don't sound great. The early Anthrax stuff doesn't sound great. Right. All right. that, a lot of, it, dude, the first Megadeth record does not sound that good. But uh, that's just, it's a pro, it's a progression, you know? And eventually you get better and better and better. And then eventually you're paired with the right producer. And in engineer. In this case, Rick Rubin, an engineer. Yeah. And I mean, dude, Rick Rubin and Andy Wallace. Yeah. I mean. It's a great team. Great. And, and, and Kerry King talks about, um, you know, not only could we hear everything, but like the musicianship was good. Like 
it's not just fast obliterated shit. It's like it's in time. I mean, they have one of the greatest metal drummers of all fucking time. All time, yeah. That dude's like a living metronome, right? Yes, he's and, a badass. And I have even later in my notes that the songs played on Rain and Blood are an average of 220 BPM. That's no joke. Which is very, very fast. Yes. Light speed. Beats per minute. One might say similar to the speed of illumination. I'm like the wizard that's falling asleep. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then you... <laughs> so and we shed our mortal <laughs> coil <laughs> this was Slayer's first album to enter the US Billboard 200 peaked at 94 certified gold which is 500,000 copies for the uninitiated in 92 which means by now it's probably platinum uh, recorded at Hit City West in LA with the aforementioned Andy Wallace Ruben's first professional experience with a heavy metal band so yeah. he sets up to bat for the first time, and knock, and to use more sports lingo, knocks it out of the park. Knocks it out of the golf course. Oh, yes, out of the park. Yes, super short record. It fit on one side of a cassette. Kerry King would go on to say that he thought it was quote unquote neat. Neat. This is for real, and that you can flip it over and play the whole record again. So they had the whole record on both sides when it came. That'd out be a cassette. neat cassette to have. It'd be a really cool shirt to put on a cassette. Yes, exactly. That you can then wear. <laughs> if you're upset. All right. Uh, cover art designed by Larry Carroll. Mm-hmm. An amazing cover album, by the way. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of busy, but it's really evocative and creepy. Very. Yeah, which, I mean, a lot of Slayer stuff is, but I mean, that one in particular it's is It's one great. of their best. Yeah, for sure. It really is one of their What's best. What's cool is uh, Larry, Carroll, Larry Carroll guy, he was mostly known for doing illustrations for the Progressive The Village Voice in the New York Times. That's the dude that got to do the cover for Rain and Blood. Do we know how that deal was brokered? I don't. I, I was kind of uh, looking at some stuff up, but I didn't. I didn't dive that deep, unfortunately. Well, we've let the Metal Beer Podcast family down. <clears throat> we have. They want to know more about Larry. Well, you know, maybe we'll do a whole Larry Carroll episode. Maybe we'll have Larry Carroll on if he's still living. Maybe if he he's is. still among the living. Among the living. If he's not shed his mortal he might be. coil, he, he might be south of heaven. Uh, perhaps. Uh... <laughs> Which could be Earth. Perhaps he's a diabolicus in music. Oh, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. On the subsequent Rain and Pain tour, Dave Lombardo quit the band. He did. Which he's quit the band several times. Uh, He's... What's his deal? Is he just like a temperamental... What's his problem? I think he's had like really good reason. I mean, listen, Kerry King isn't known for being the most reasonable dude. Totally, totally. And And Jeff Hanneman's not known for being the most easy to talk to guy. Right, Tom Araya, I think is is mostly. You just got Tom Araya ha- in the green room going, there. "Payback's a bitch, motherfucker." <laughs> uh, to me, and again, this is this is uh, someone who doesn't dive deep into the Slayer world, but from what I know, it seems like Dave Lombardo was actually one of the more level-headed dudes. Well, so he he quit right for that tour. Right, he was replaced by well, he Whiplash. Started, he started the tour. Right, but then he quit during right. it. He was replaced by Whiplash drummer Tony. Scaglioni, who was, I guess, um, furloughed from the Godfather family. <laughs> we'll have Tony Scaglioni. Uh, Ruben called Dave Lombardo every day to encourage him to rejoin the band. When he did eventually rejoin the band, one short year later in 1987, Rick Rubin picked him up in his Porsche and drove him to a Slayer rehearsal. That's so cocky. It's very Jordan. Uh, I, I did find a quote from Dave Lombardo about his departure. Please, um, please. And this is where I kind of see the level-headedness of him. Uh, he said, I wasn't making any money. Uh, I'd just gotten married, and I figured if we are going to do this professionally on a major label, I wanted to pay my rent and utilities. 
It's a simple thing to ask. It really is. But when Rick Rubin talked him back into rejoining the band, he said like, "Hey, we're going to put get you on salary." Right. And so that's that's where it was kind of like, "Okay." And it's probably pretty meager. I mean, what well, the thing is, they weren't a big band before this. They, yes, they got signed to a major and they made this record, and it, it debuted. You know, at like what was it, one forty-seven? It debuted out and eventually hit ninety-four or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't immediately translate into money. No, I mean, I mean, they, they they weren't getting radio play. They weren't on MTV. Right. None of that stuff. So, like similar story with all the thrash bands. Right. That wasn't something MTV and the mainstream was grabbing. Maybe there were some articles in Rolling Stone or whatever like that. But, the, you know, it wasn't like poison back then. It was like all over MTV and making millions of dollars. And, and you know, we don't, have to, we don't have to bring this cloud over this conversation that much, but they weren't Metallica. Metallica really started making money on the Ozzy tour. So post-Puppets, so like right. late 86. Kind of a bummer, kind of like when Cliff passed away. But it really wasn't until Justice where they really started, like they came home from, you know, one of those tours and their management were like, you're all millionaires now. Yeah. They're, Slayer's not near that, bro. They're not making that kind of cash. They're not selling those kinds of tickets. No, I mean, I mean, they they could be millionaires now. Well, maybe with I mean, with back catalog and I mean, sales back. I mean, yeah, there 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 was a brief time where they could sell out arenas. I think. Yeah. Oh, uh, arenas, really? I think so. Yeah, Seasons in the Abyss. Someone era. called me out on this recently, where their kind of farewell tour that they've been doing for three years now or whatever. It's, well, it's done now. Yeah. Well, everything's done now. The world's canceled. <laughs> they uh, finished it before COVID, but uh, they were pulling. They were doing arenas, but they had they had a stacked fucking lineup. But, but too. that's also a farewell tour. It's right. your it's your right, last right, right. chance to see them. So you're going to up the venue capacity. I'd, I'd be curious to. Yeah, you're right. Season of the Abyss might have been a, their second peak after Rain and Blood. I think that was more. Season of the Abyss was more of a commer- a bit of a commercial success because I remember seeing. This, the, the title track, Season of the Abyss, I remember seeing that video on MTV on Headbangers Ball and stuff like that. Which, by the way, we have an Explore the Big Four episode on Seasons of the Abyss, do, yeah. which is super fun. And uh, what's the other record we did? Repentless. Repentless, yeah. Their, their last record, their 13th album. Yeah. Um, where are we going with all this? What are we talking about? Uh, we're going to listen to Rain and Blood. <laughs> oh, well, we're talking about Dave needing to make money. Yeah, I mean, this isn't... That, that's interesting to me because, and you and I can probably provide some insight into this just for a second, that's, yeah. that's uh, unique, is like... That's a real problem. So he's mm-hmm. starting a family, which good for him because so much of the job, it's like going to fucking war. They're like, we want guys that have no ties to home because we need never you, to see it again. Because we need you to go fucking live out there. Yeah. And Dave Lombardo is like, man, I got other shit to think about. And right. like, we signed a major label, we made our best record, people really like it. But he think about how tough that decision had to have been to be like, I got to figure something else out, bro. I know. Well, and, and I'm not saying they were making even hundreds of thousands of dollars at this point. They probably weren't making much because it, it, it took a while for this record to, I think, really And it costs stick. a lot of money to tour. I mean, the overhead, does, yeah. overhead for touring, especially a band like them that were like big in Europe, like the overhead to go tour, bus, hotel, catering, mm-hmm. crew, uh, there's just not that much left over if you're doing right. clubs right. or maybe even small theaters. But, but if you're doing small theaters, I, I got to imagine if you're doing small theaters in 86... With Slayer, you you're splitting the bill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some like massive Slayer fan that knows all this that hates hey, us right now. Don't hate us. Let's you know. Let's let's discuss. Don't hate. <laughs> don't hate. Just hey, just don't hate. Write in. Write in and let us know if you have the breakdown of that first tour. Can I, can I add an addendum to that? Yeah. You said don't hate. Write in. Can I add one thing to that? Okay. Don't write in. <laughs> 
here's what if somebody if somebody's that big of a Slayer fan and wants to write in, and this is the only way you can do it. If you have the breakdown of every show and their and 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 what they've made, what they gross, what they netted, and what Dave Lombardo was making, I just want to know, and that's it. But that's it. We're gonna stop it there. Well, he ended up joining back, and you know, they lived happily ever after. Just kidding. Until he quit again. <laughs> uh, this was Jeff Hanneman's favorite Slayer record. It's a good one. Now, they performed it live a lot. The full album was played all throughout the fall of 2004 under the banner Still Raining. That year, a live DVD was released with the band covered in fake blood during Raining Blood. Yep. Uh, In 2008, the band performed the album in Paris, in 2012 in London, and in 2014 at Riot Fests in both Chicago and Denver. It's awesome. Now, this is interesting. We can camp out here just for one second. Columbia Records, which was Def Jam's distributor, which meaning... To distribute the record means to just get it in stores. Right, correct. Especially in the 80s. In the 80s, it was just all physical. It just meant getting it in a fucking store. Yeah. Columbia Records, which is a huge label. That's Bob Dylan's record label. Oh, yeah. Columbia Records is huge. They basically refused to distribute the record because the setting and description of the Holocaust in the tr- in track one, which we're about to listen to, Angel of Death, Yeah. Uh, uh, th- they were uncomfortable with the association with Nazism and racism. Right. Now, David Geffen, famously Geffen Records, Appetite for Destruction, hello. Have you heard of it? Uh, they were like, we'll distribute it, but they refused to put their logo on it. Oh, okay. And I thought that was fascinating in terms of like, you know, we currently live in an interesting cancel culture time mm-hmm. where if anything, if anything appears to be beyond reproach or or, right. or, or, or whatever, like scandalous... People are not going to fuck with that. Right. I found this interesting because in the 80s, there's no Twitter. There's no social media. There's no... no, You're not going to get any woke points for making that kind of stand. Yeah. Because no one probably knew about it. No. No, definitely not. So I actually found that kind of interesting that Columbia was like, look, we're not really willing to associate with this. Yeah. And that David Geffen's like, well, fuck you. We'll take the money. Yeah, we'll do it. But they were like, we're not going to put our... Well, we're still kind of scared of it, too. Yeah, but we'll we'll but we'll we'll cash in. The song led to accusations of Nazi sympathizing and racism, which have followed the band throughout their career. However, according to my notes here, which I gathered yes. in the library, the library, uh, the band utilized the controversy for for publicity, toying with those themes in their future songs and imagery through the years. Um, <clears throat> the last thing we'll say before we start listening is Tori Amos famously covered the titular track. Although it's not really titular because rain in blood is different than raining blood. Raining blood. But Tori Amos covered it on Strange Little Girls. Uh, I wanted to play a clip of it if we could. Yeah, it's a I would very love to. different take.
So Tori Amos put this album out, Strange Little Girls, which is her reinterpreting songs written by men. And it's got Neil Young's Heart of Gold, Happiness is a Warm Gun by the Beatles. Awesome. It's pretty far out. Yeah, I and love Kerry it. And Kerry King's even quoted as saying, he wouldn't have even known it was their song unless yeah. someone had pointed it out. I'm excited to hear I've, I've actually never heard this. I mean, I'm a huge Tori Amos cat, so I'm hip to her weird shit. But it yeah. is weird. It is it is tough. The most famous song on the album was she covered Eminem's 97, Bonnie and Clyde, uh, okay. which is pretty dark, pretty scary. Yes. Tori Amos is pretty creepy. She is, yeah. Um, But I thought that was an interesting aside that Carrie King's like, oh, this chick Tori Amos... You know, that's just such different worlds. It's, She's a piano-driven... I, but I love when, when there's artists out there that are well-known in their in their world that do kind of cross-genre covers. Yeah. I, it's an I, ambitious project. I love that kind of stuff. I would encourage anyone who's never really checked Tori out, maybe don't start with that, but uh, check out an album called To Venus and Back. Check out an album called uh, Little Earthquakes. Little Earthquakes is great. Tori Amos is, is a hero of mine. Um, but it's interesting that she... The cross-section of her was Slayer. I love it. I think it's awesome. Um, I think without any further ado, we're ready to start jamming. I'm ready to jam. What do you think? I want to rock out. I want to rock out with Coca-Cola Classic. I want to rock out with New Coke. New Coke? Maybe Crystal Pepsi. Dude, I remember Crystal Pepsi. It's weird. I think they brought it back. Clear Pepsi? You might be able to get it still. Not still, but again. In the in the uh, On the deep web? Maybe. I don't know. Where Cannibal Corpse, <laughs> Cannibal Corpse albums were traded. It's where, the their mes- dark where their message boards are. <laughs> That's when we talk about Cannibal Corpse lyrics and Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> two, two of the darkest sh- things on this planet <laughs> that no one else wants to talk about. Well, I'm excited. Let's uh, let's listen to the record. All right, here we go. Slayer, Rain and Blood. All right. I mean, coming in hot, of course. Slayer. I love the hard pan guitars too. I know, me too. Very clearly a left and a right. That's some good bitching guitar tones, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's. Who's killing the donkey? That's the one thing on this record that I'm like, whoa! But I'm guessing back then that probably sounded kind of evil, you know? I I don't know. It's silly. I mean, this is some this is some gnarly shit for night the mid eighties. I'm reading the lyrics right you now know? as we listen. Yeah. Immediately, I just think, God, Dave Lombardo is he's this is why he's one of the best metal drummers ever. Yeah. This is obviously pre-Pro Tools. They're doing this to two-inch tape, most likely. There's no correcting it. I mean, you could you could cut you can cut up tape and, and put it back together to edit drums, but this shit is this is this is real stuff right now. It's brutal. Oh yeah. How's it going lyrically over there? Eh. It's okay. And it's Kerry King writes lyrics predominantly. Well, right? this one was written by Hanneman, though. Okay, he had been reading books on their um, Hello Waits tour about this dude who conducted experiments. Uh, Yosef Mingle, 
who was called the Angel of Death, conducted human experiments at the Auschwitz concentration camp during World War II. Wow. Uh, this, this riff is fucking sick. Bitchin'. I love when Slayer goes halftime. Yeah. Love it. Even this kind of stuff. Because Slayer's predominantly known for just like this super speedy thrash metal. When they get into a groove, it's, it's usually a badass riff. I mean, I remember hearing Slayer for the first time in, like, probably seventh grade and thinking, like, I can't show my parents this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I could I could show my dad, you know, because he's a guitar player, some cool Metallica stuff. I'm not showing him Rain and Blood. No way. And that's part of, I mean, that's part of the selling power of it, too, is, like, it had this taboo, evil for vibe sure. that kids... Kids love that shit. Well, and it, what's funny is it's it's well known that Tom Araya is a Catholic, uh, practicing. I will say right off the bat, I'm, I'm even though I've heard this record numerous times in my life, I am enjoying this way more than Repentless. I don't know if it's the production, the riffs, or what, I mean, it's just better riffs, I guess, better tones. I remember liking Repentless. It's, no, it's cool. Don't get me wrong. But this... I, I dig this. It says leads by both King and Hanneman. A lot of my uh, guitar player friends that are big Slayer fans always are like, yeah, Kerry King solo suck. Hanneman's ones are the best. He was the, he was the better player. Hmm. This is Hanneman right here. And then back to Kerry. For sure? I don't know. Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> the genius lyric said it was King first on the oh, okay, left. Okay. They just revert a lot to that kind of noisy play, play as fast, fast as possible shreddy, where you yeah. can't really tell. Damn! Lombardo, man. There's a great live clip of him. It's like his tech filming him. I think it might have been one of the big four shows. Can't remember. And he does that double kick part, but does it twice as long. And he just stands there. And Dude, we got to do. I mean, there'll probably be a two-part series, maybe even three, on the whole big four. Thing. Oh yeah, we have to. There's and there's a lot of footage. On. There's not, like not behind the, the show, behind the scenes. Yeah, a ton yeah, of yeah. behind the scenes. I stuff. love. I've watched that several times. All right, this is piece by piece. This sounds like Faith No More. This sounds like Surprise You're Dead. Surprise! You're dead! <laughs> Open your eyes! Alright, piece by piece. Man, Lomb- Lombardo is such a solid drummer. Kerry uh, King wrote this, the lyrics and the music. Modulistic Terror. Okay. And for, for a singer to not really do any kind of melodies, I've always loved Tom Mariah's voice. It's just a good, like, you, you take the melodic sense out of a singer, he's got a good, just like aggressive, kind of growly, screamy voice that doesn't bother me. 
you know, like a lot of new, like newer metal bands, it's like this. It's so harsh, um, and they don't ever stray from it. Oh, that thing, that or, or like the high pitch kind of. Like, yeah, I don't. Something about Tom Mariah's voice, I've always, I've always dug. Here we go. It's just a fucking onslaught. That's dude. a little weird right there. The guitar parts were were, were triplets. Lombardo was doing sixteenths, I think. That was like a little rap song. Or the Rick Rubin influence. Yeah, it probably was. Modulistic terror. It's pretty fucking brutal. There's only one way out of here, piece by piece. Yeah. That's cool. These are like punk rock songs, dude. This is necrophobic. <laughs> it really is like, I mean, just taking a bunch of speed and just go. But imagine, dude, this is 1986, man. These dudes were young. Yeah, and I mean, and they were still able to play the shit in the end of their career. But think about them back in the '80s, like super young. They did two records. Now they're with this like real ass producer, real ass engineer, on a big label. I mean, they're just like dishing this shit out like it's nothing. Can't even talk that fast. I gotta Ripping say, ripping apart, man. severing, severing, severing flesh? flesh, gouging eyes, tearing limb from limb. It's kind of vague compared to Cannibal Corpse, but <laughs> this song is very Cannibal Corpsey. The, the... I do have to say this, like, as a thirty-six-year-old. Dad, yeah, old guy. This is not a lot for me to latch on to. It's powerful. It's fast. It's brutal. All right, sure, all very yeah. cool. All things that kids love. Yeah, it's hard for me to. Uh oh. Whoa. That was something. You're right, dude. When they go to halftime, that's when I'm like, that dad. And then the song's over. <laughs> oh well. This intro sounds like Anthrax to me. This is Altar of Sacrifice. I will I will give this to Slayer, man. Whether it's like the halftime stuff, thrashy stuff, their riffs are probably the scariest of the of the big four. Just kind of just they're always really creepy sounding. I mean, this shit is fast. Fast. I think I'm. I think I'm going about it wrong by reading the... I think I'm going to stop reading the lyrics because it... Fair enough. It's really more of a... Join me over here, please. But it's not the point, right? Because the... Honest... Can I be honest with you? Please, do The lyrics are fucking stupid. Okay. So... But that's not even the point. The point is just the whole... They're delivering a package to you. Yes. That... Only they do it like this. Of course. And that's their... That's their hallmark. Well, and there's, you know, listen, you and I both know there's a lot of music out there with really bad lyrics, but sometimes when it's presented in in this certain type of package, the perfect wrapping paper and the nice bow, sometimes you can kind of bypass not-so-great lyrics. 
at least, at least in, in my experience, in my opinion, uh, Slayer is a good example. The lyrics aren't great, but it's a weird. Or when you can't understand the lyrics, it, it, it maybe it's more but enjoyable. It's it's almost an indictment though, on a band or an album where it's like, oh, the lyrics don't matter. It doesn't matter what they're saying. Right. What matters is the power. Yeah. Which that's fine, but this is cool. That sounds like Pantera. I love the halftime stuff, man. Well, because you can actually sort of just understand it for a second. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I can differentiate between the four songs we've heard. It's tough. I mean, I think when it was either, it was, I think it was Repentless, where, like, I mean, it was, there was fatigue. When I, by the end of the record, I was like, oh. like, I think, I think I could listen to an entire Slayer record if I had it on the turntable, if I was, like, cleaning my house. If I had something else to do, like. But that's almost, yeah, but it's just almost something you don't have to pay attention to. It's like, it doesn't really command nuanced listening it doesn't it's just something you listen to if you're an angry kid it, yeah I'm not trying to you know what I'm trying to say yeah yeah no it, it maybe it's a little different when you're coming with fresh years as an adult you know in your 30s or 40s it's just really clear to me why they're not as popular as Metallica for sure yeah now as far as the impact of thrash metal they certainly had a huge hand in it you know but this record can't touch puppets though no no here we go. Like that's bitching. Awesome. I love when they do that halftime, man. Dave Lombardo doing the eighth notes on the right symbol. It's like this signature thing they do, and I love it. That's fucking sick. Yeah. Gallopy. Song is this? Is this Altar of Sacrifice? Uh, I think so. <laughs> I have this as, as as one file in the session, so it's it's tough to. Uh... Yeah, this kind of stuff is awesome right here, man. I'm looking at the cover art right now. It's so sick, dude. It's so fucking cool. Now, like. Here we go. Back to back to the speedway. <laughs> I would definitely, as far as Slayer records go, I would love to have this and Seasons in the Abyss on vinyl. I would put. I on. have Rain and Blood on vinyl. Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. Nice. I have this. I have Show No Mercy, their first album, and I have Diabolic- Diabolicus and Musica. They're yeah. kind of new metal. Oh, right, right, yeah. I think, wasn't that one without Lombardo? I think so. So you know how Metallica Records went in, in live when Kirk Hammett does this? Yeah. I feel like all their solos are kind of like that. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's funny. Just, You're going to rip Kirk for that. These guys are main offenders of the yes. dive bombs. That's like, a pretty like, cool solo. Like there. to me, it's impressive. I can't play like that. And the question comes up to me is like, okay, to me, there's not like, oh, that's a cool melody in a solo. But with Slayer, does there need to be? 
a melody in the solo, or is it just play that shit at 30 second notes it's so fast and mash all the notes you can together? You know? This is a song called Jesus Saves. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, please. Please, honey. This is a Christian song. This is a song about DC talk. And we're done. <laughs> All right. Next up, Criminally Insane. Ooh. Killer intro, dude. What was that 16th or 32nd? Is that 32nd? It's 16th, I think. It's 16th. No, it's but That is not easy to do with your right hand, by the way. He's not using two hands. That's, that's, that's no fun. So this song is about a criminally insane serial killer, the lead singer or drummer of Cannibal Corpse. It's about the drummer of Cannibal Corpse. Nice. There we go. See, I did, my biggest issue with Slayer, well, and, and they, <laughs> they just proved it right there. They, go, they rely on the speed metal shit so much. When they land you a groove like that intro, I start bobbing my head I'm like, this is rad. And I like the thrashy stuff. Don't get me wrong. But like, when they lay into something, some cool riff and Lombardo's doing the fast ride symbol thing, I love that stuff. But also, in the mid-80s, this wasn't like a thing yet. I mean, thrash bands had, had existed since the early 80s, but this, well, this, was, this yeah. was the year. This was, this was, yeah, I mean, this, this was a landmark of extreme metal this was the same year it was it was this puppets peace cells and yeah. among the living the yeah. same year came out but this is more brutal than all that yeah i mean this is more brutal than metallica oh yeah for sure for sure but absolutely but if you look at like i don't know dude some of the this is sick too anytime they go slower halftime it gets i know sick. i love it because they are some evil motherfuckers like this shit sounds evil there we go Hell yeah. That's the best riff of the album so far. Goes up an octave over on the left. Is that Kerry King? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they pan. <laughs> I don't know what they're panning. What are, their, what are Slayer's panning preferences? But dude, there are moments of battery and moments of damage ink that are fucking brutal. Sure. heroes. I mean, of course. Ooh. All right, now up reborn. Check seven. We're we're beyond halfway. <laughs> we're beyond halfway. <laughs> Convicted witch. My life will end at midnight on the stake. All right. Got some witch situations over here. <laughs> A little bit wordy there. I mean, I gotta hand it to Tom. I mean, that's not easy to do to just spit out those lyrics like that. And play bass. Payback's a bitch, motherfucker! I just keep thinking about, like, just Dave Lombardo's speed is, like, it's, it's, it's not human, man. I wonder how hard it would be to memorize all these lyrics. 
I mean, shoot, I, I don't know if, if they were ever a band to have teleprompters on stage. Maybe? Maybe now. Or they're just old school. They just, this is Hanneman. Definitely impressive. I mean, it's fast. Very fast, yeah. Um, it does sound kind of like one-take solos, though. It does, yeah. Just like blasting off and right. print it, you know? Again, I, as much as I want to hear more melody in these solos, maybe that's they're not, too fast. It's not, it's, I mean, not, it's not fitting for this stuff. Well, and they're too fast to play melodically. I mean, I don't know, man. There's a lot of, there's a lot of melody in the Dire's Eve solo. Yeah, that's a fast song. But I think for Slayer, that's more fitting than. <laughs> but they're all, <laughs> they're all kind of the same. <laughs> I know that's the problem. That's the problem, right? Yeah. It's cool, but it's real samey. It is samey. Okay. This song's called Epidemic. Epidemic. Okay. Kerry King wrote the lyrics. Hanneman wrote the music. Could you imagine uh, like somebody from Def Jam that works in the office that never heard Slayer, and they're like, "Oh, Rick Rubin's producing a heavy metal band. Hmm. It's just crazy." We're, I we're, heard they're called Slayer. We're gonna stop by the studio and check it out. And they walk in and hear them doing this shit. They're like, uh, "Like the guitar player has a porcupine wrist cuff. What's going on?" I had to go back to reading the lyrics because otherwise, I'm bored. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I mean, th- this is this is a reoccurring thing with Slayer Records. It's just the same song over and over. It kind of is. I, I don't know. There's. And I understand that back back in the mid '80s, man, this was exciting. If I was, if I was, context is important. Yeah. If I was 16 years old in 1986 and someone handed and me this you record, were, I'm not that old. You were Come born on. in 1970s. Yes, 70s, yes. But if someone handed me this and I was in high school, I'd be like, oh my God, I've never heard anything like this. So all these tracks would just be amazing to me. Here we go. All right. Slow it down. Yeah. Ooh, a little gallopy. Giddy up. There's a little bit of gallop in the old new Lunar Satan song coming up later. There is. He, he could hit that note in 86 for sure. That's what it sounds like. That was cool. I can tell you this, man. These like really fast, chunky, triplety things, they are not easy to play, dude. Nope, they're not. So, I just want to make sure that our listeners know that there's an undeniable power in this album. Of course, yeah. This intro is awesome. This is post-mortem. This I is a that. solely written by Jeff Henneman. Okay. There we go. 
I got to uh, hand it to him, man. Surprise! <laughs> You're dead! <laughs> man, the one thing about Slayer, though, is like nobody sounds like Slayer. And that's something that, you know, be, I, I say be proud of. Yeah. And I would say that... Maybe because no one would attempt to sound like Slayer. <laughs> well, I mean, I'd say that about everyone in the Big Four. No one sounds like Megadeth. No one sounds like Metallica. No one sounds like Anthrax. They're their own thing. But a lot of other metal bands that have come since then start to kind of blend together. Not all of them, of course, but there's a lot of them. How many more seconds until it gets real thrashy? Yeah, they've kind of been grooving along a little too long here. I dig it. How long before they copy and paste the solo from the last six songs <laughs> onto this song? Some really cool riffs in this tune, though. I guess this might be my favorite song so far. But it's hard it to say. So, you guys can't see this. And we're not videoing this one, but there's a little break coming up. Oh, there it is again. It's that same note. It's the same note. Um, there's a little break in the wave file coming up. What could that be? I guarantee that's where it's like solo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. Oh, oh! Tempo change. A little left, left turn there. Into hell. Into hell. <laughs> okay, we're getting fast. I feel like it's gonna go faster. They couldn't have recorded this to a click, right? You think they recorded this to a click? I mean, not this song. That'd be, that'd be tough back then to change tempos. A little double kick. Here it comes. I feel like we're going to get the Millie Millie solo. Oh, yeah. Oh. Surprise verse. Okay, okay. I was waiting for a solo. That's cool. Do you want to die? I mean, that's some serious right-hand work as a guitar player. It's it's nuts. Uh, I mean, that's... But again, I think what's so impressive to me about, about Hetfield is that he has that speed, but he also has the melodic sensibility and the composition skills. Sure, of course. The dexterity and the technical prowess only gets so far for me in terms right. of like... All right, here we are, our last track. It's no, is there... Wait. This is random. This is rain, raining blood. But then I have here aggressive... Perfector? Well, well there, there, there's, there's, there. Are you showing twelve tracks? Eleven. No. Uh, so the official record is ten tracks. Okay. Cool. There, there's two versions where there's bonus tracks. All right. Cool. So this is the last track on the original record. I'm, I'm ready. To and this be. is one of the best riffs Slayer ever wrote right here. I'm ready to be done right here. That's a great riff. That's to me is kind of quintessential Slayer sound right there. It's awesome. All right. Buddy, 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 buddy. 
I'm raining blood. Raining blood. One of Slayer's signature songs. Here we go. Damn. Fast. I can tell you for sure I can't play that. I couldn't do that. At this speed, with this consistency. Hanneman says it's about a guy who's in purgatory because he was cast out of heaven. Pretty straightforward. I like that verse riff. Oh, yeah. This is the best song on the album. Ooh, Lombardo is such a badass drummer. That fucking double kick in these verses, man. He's so good. I do love when they harmonize like that. There's not like a stack of guitars. It's just two. Two. That's it. That This whole album has been that. Yeah. They don't have the uh, quote-unquote metal. Ooh, this is sick. Oh, yeah. This part's great. It sounds like Lunar Satan. It does. Even that's just two guitars. You think that part on the left would be down the middle? Doubled or yeah. The only I, I admire that kind of purity because that's how it would go down live. Exactly. The only stuff that's overdubbed in this is just the solos. Right. As far as like an extra guitar track. But I can tell. No, no, you're right. I think there are a few solos where whatever guitar is doing the solo dropped out and it was solo, but. That's overdubbed, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like two solos. That's two solos. That's so fast. That's what I'm saying. I was like, how could you even solo over that? I mean, without just making noise. <laughs> Which is kind of what they're doing. Yeah, that's all. That's their thing. Dude. Yeah. Their thing is like brutal speed metal with dive bombs and noise. Nuclear what Oh then they go into fight fire with fire. <laughs> they do. And then the little things out We end this record as raining blood. <laughs> and then oh how the blood rained down. Oh there we go. There's rain and blood, everybody. <sighs> All twenty seven minutes right. of it. Oh, it's man. a t- listen, it's it's a it's I think I'd rather a tough listen, man. I think I'd I think I'd rather listen to San Anger, bro. What about Lulu? Sure. Well, I would rather. I'm fascinated by the. I'm fascinated by the courage of Lulu. There's something very artistically courageous and interesting. Yeah, for sure. Or you're just on a crazy ride. That is just a pummeling, and that's the goal. I mean, they their goal goal. is to pummel. For sure. How much are you wanting to be pummeled? You know, like it's like I. I don't know. I sound like an old man, and I I accept (laughs) that I am, but. And you're about to hear our Lunar Satan jam, which I think is fucking brutal and heavy. So I'm I'm not like only listening to fucking Post Malone over here. I'm just right, saying, yeah. I'm just trying to give my final assessment here. I mean, what's your final assessment? How do you feel? Um, I, I'm pretty nonplussed. I I prefer this over like Repentless, okay, or some of the newer Slayer stuff I've listened to. Um, I think because the songs are so short, 
Right. I don't get as fatigued. I almost wish that every record of Slayer was like this. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, this isn't a good thing, right? The thing that you like about it is how short it is. Because right. it's over. <laughs> well, it's not, it, it, well, it's not like a torturous thing it was where I'm a, like, it was oh, okay. please, please be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all right. It's, it was tolerable. Well, but for, so an example is like, I, I don't think I could p- put this record on and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm going to throw on Hell Awaits. Then I'm going to throw on Season of the Abyss. Then I'm going to throw on whatever of Slayer. But when it comes to a band like Metallica or even Anthrax or Megadeth, I can listen to a couple records in a row. Slayer, every time I listen to him, I get that Slayer fatigue where I'm like, oh, I'm just kind of done. Now, there are some amazing moments on that record. And for me, it's when they go to halftime. And that groove sets in and that bitch and riff happens. To me, the amazing moments on the or record. Surprise, you're dead. To me, the amazing moments on the record are when there's stuff happening with the drums or with the right hand speed that is just seems inhuman mm-hmm. in, in terms of speed and how brutal and precise it is. Like that's what amazes me about the record. The coolest moments, the palatable moments, are when they go halftime, when they yeah, slow it sure. down, when they sort of let you chew on it. Mm-hmm. But that's really not what this record's about. The, and, and and that's not necessarily like. Slayer's vibe really. They, they 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 that stuff comes in every once in a while, but their vibe is just like just like full board. And that's machine and that's like philosophically what's so cool about them. Like they don't have to apologize for shit. They don't have to please me. No. They're I'm you know, I'm I'm in some ways asking them to be a different band than they are. Right. They're who they are. Yeah. And I've said this I think for years now on the podcast. When it comes to that, and I'm now motioning towards rain and blood. <laughs> okay. Uh the YouTubers which we're not on today can't see this, but when it comes to that thing, they do it. They commit. Absolutely. They crush. Uh, you know, they don't concern themselves with dynamics or good songs. That's, <laughs> I mean, they just don't. They don't have no. good songs. Those and, songs aren't good, dude. Right? Well, the, the, I mean, the lyrics aren't great. There, there's no melodies. There's to no be melodies. Had. So that's what songs are. Yes, totally. But for what Slayer does, for they power, are, they are speed, the, one of the best at it. For power, speed, consistency, and just a pummeling, mm-hmm. they I've crush. seen Slayer live, and it's a pummeling live. Right. But I will say, I didn't stay for the whole show. Well, how could you? You had your fucking whole arms and legs and dick were blown <laughs> off by the power. And there was only two opening bands. It wasn't like it was 10 bands I watched and had to sit through. I just, I watched, they played for probably, I'm guessing they played for an hour and a half, let's say. Jesus Christ. I, me and Jack O'Shea, he took me. Um, it, it was a fun date. It, did, it was, he, did he pin a corsage on the Oh, yeah, no, we wore suits and everything. It was great. <laughs> um, we thought that was pretty metal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was at the War Memorial, War Memorial in Nashville. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. And uh, it was Carcass opening, who I thought actually were pretty fucking badass. Yeah. I haven't read their lyrics. That could be like Cannibal Corpse, I don't know, but they're called Carcass. Uh, and Jack is a fan of theirs, so if their lyrics are fucked up, then Jack might be fucked up too. Uh, and then Testament. Mm-hmm. And I've never been a big Testament fan. However, some of the songs that I, I do know, uh, like records like Practice What You Preach, uh, uh, The New Order, I think it's called, those are cool records. They could have been like, if there was a big five, Testament could have been in that. And Slayer came on, and it was like, this is rad. This energy in the crowd, and we were on the balcony and watching the circle pits go down. I'm like, I'm too old to go down there. And then after 30 to 40 minutes, Jack leaned over, and we had earplugs in, by the way. Yeah. Because it was fucking Because you care about your fucking anatomy? Well, it was just, I mean, 
one of the loudest shows I've been to. And at one point, Jack, in my mind, I was thinking, I really want to go home. But you don't want to be the first guy. I'm to, done. Yeah. You don't want to throw the towel in. Totally. And Jack showed me the towel. Hey, what do you think about this towel? He actually brought a towel. He brought I'm Phil just, towel. He brought Phil towel. And Phil he towel wrote on a sticky. He wrote, "You can zoning it." Ta- he this is what he wrote. Yeah. He wrote zoning it takes many forms. Mm-hmm. He wrote kind of a long thing, which was hard to do during a pummeling Slayer show. Of course. He wrote zoning it takes many forms. One of the ways that it might be possible for you to zone it would be to admit that you need to go home. Mm-hmm. Is that why what he showed you? It, it, it was very similar. Cool. It, it says something along the lines of, why don't you guys zone it into an Uber <laughs> and then zone it back to East Nashville and go to your respective beds <laughs> and go to sleep? And, and listen, it was a great show, and I had a blast, but it, it, but it, it it's like listening to those records. There's just a fatigue that happens, unless you're like a diehard Slayer fan, which I am not, admittedly. Like I said, I, I could be cleaning up my house, working on a project, and throw Slayer on on the stereo, and get through an entire record is fine. But when we're sitting here like this, focusing on the record, yeah, well, here, it, it's, yeah. it's a lot harder. Well, here's grumpy me coming through. Here's, Come what you, here's what you basically just said. You said, it's fine if I don't pay attention to it. Here's what you, that's basically what you said. Here's the deal. Mild, mildly pay attention. It, it's just not that good. It's just not really worth paying attention to. It's just not. Mm-hmm. And... I guess we could spend a little more time trying to be nice about it because we know a lot of our listeners like Slayer. Of course, yeah. No, listen, and, we're not trying to be assholes. This is just our honest thoughts listening look, dude, to the record. Here's here's musicians. my thing, man. Like my wife and I trade movie nights. Right. I don't know how you and Callie negotiate this, but my wife and I we we don't really like the same films. Sure. Uh, because she likes romantic comedies, but she doesn't like <laughs> bewilderingly to me. She doesn't like classic. She doesn't like When Harry Met Sally. She doesn't really? like Sleepless in Seattle. Wow. She doesn't like Annie Hall. She likes Justin Timberlake's No Strings Attached. Like she likes, um, uh, you know, uh, she likes this other shit. Like a, like Hugh Grant movies, like a, which I do love a good Hugh Grant movie. She just likes different stuff. We'll just or, leave or, it or at like rom coms, like all, border on border on like teen movies, like a like a Rachel McAdams rom com. Yeah, she likes Rachel McAdams. Yeah, if okay. Rachel McAdams is in it, she's down. Unless it's a Brian De Palma film called Passion, which I tried to get her to watch, but she didn't like. It. Anyway, okay. But but our negotiation is, hey babe. You pick a movie, and we're going to watch it. And I'm going to sit there in good faith, and I'm going <laughs> right. to watch it. And when I pick a movie, I mean, I don't pick my shit, really. I don't put her <laughs> through Twin Peaks. But I'll, but I'll pick something that I think she would like. Right. We're going to watch the Cannibal Corpse documentary she, next week. <laughs> Centuries of Torment, part one. She doesn't quite think of movies she thinks I'll like. She just picks her movie. Right. I try to pick movies I think she would like. Sure. But So anyway, but here's the whole deal with how that works. So when the movie burns down, 90 minutes of it, mm-hmm. She'll be like, well, what'd you think? And here's the deal. If I didn't like it, I'm like, hey, I didn't like it. And here's the deal, though. I reserve the right to criticize it because I watched it. Of course, yeah. I sat through it. Oh, I think we talked about this in the last episode. I think so. So here's the deal with Rain and Blood, bro. You reserve the right to not like the Slayer. I'm just telling you, it's... Think about it compared to Master of Puppets, bro. It's not even close. For sure. Yeah, for sure. That last tune, killer. That riff, no, no, no joke. Oh no, but, no. I, but here's Ra- the, raining but, blood is. The... But I can't sing it to you. Can you sing me that riff? All right, you can. All right. Only because I've heard that riff ever since I was in seventh grade. But yes, I mean that, and that's one of the most famous lyrics. It's a great record to put on and not pay attention to. It's it's good. It's good background metal music. It's one twenty-seven minute song. Yes. 
with an occasional halftime groove that, oh, that's cool. And the second you start kind of like bobbing your head and getting into it, they're like, back into it. And then for a couple of seconds, you're like, wow, that's really impressive. You know what I'd like to do? Listen to a Lunar Satan tune. All right. Cleanse the palate. Now, this is going to back, this is, gonna, this is either going to really exemplify what we're talking about <laughs> or going to totally backfire because our new Lunar Satan jam is slower, melodic. It's way more in the vein of Tool or Ghost. Yeah, that, but there's a there's a little thrashy part there, in there. There's a really fast section, which you fucking murdered, by the way. Thank you. Um, I'm not saying Lunar Satan's better than Slayer. I, you know, I bow down to the mighty Slayer. Of course, No yeah. one does that thing like them. Nobody. And their commitment to the power and the pummeling is... They have earned their place in this conversation. Of course, yeah. I just think for me, and this is the last caveat I'll put in the whole thing, it's just maybe not my cup of tea. And that's fine. You reserve the right. You sat through the whole thing. I'm wearing the key to Tangent City around this my fucking neck. This is our third Slayer record we listen to. Yeah. And we're going to listen to more. We're going to do the whole... Explore- so here's the deal. The homework for you, Metal Up Your Podcast listeners out there. Let us know what record you want us to tackle next. Um, I'm keen, peachy keen... To tackle the what most people consider the load reload era Megadeth album called Ooh, Rust, risk a risk, risk, <laughs> rust. risk. In, no, no. There's risk and peace, and then there's rust. <laughs> risk and peace is great. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Risk. I want to. Maybe that could be next. Uh, that would be fun because I I think I've listened to that record one time in my life, and I remember being like, whoa. Okay, I think it's pretty well documented. So first of all, I loved Among the Living, and I liked. The white the 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 John, white the John Bush yeah. album yeah I had a good time sure yeah and Cry for the fucking Indians is my favorite Anthrax song dude that's a great one it's legendary on Metal Gear podcast how I feel about Dawn Patrol and it's recorded my I'd never heard that before and that was on uh, what album was that on which Dawn Patrol yeah yeah Rest in Peace Rest in Peace yeah Risk in Peace but I think I actually liked. Um, the one that Symphony of Destruction was on too. Oh, Countdown to Extinction. Countdown. Yeah, I think that's, I think I had a good response. That's a to good those. record. Yeah. I mean, listen, when we listen to a Megadeth record, we know that it goes without saying you're not going to be into Dave's voice, right? And with that said, let's jump into it. You know what? Let's just listen to it right now. Here I we can, go. Risk everybody. Another two hours. <laughs> uh, here's what I can promise the listeners out there, just like I did with Slayer just now, and like I've done with all of these, and you have too. I'm coming to the table in good faith, ready to have a fucking awesome time. Sure, yeah. But my loyalties lie with Metallica. Of course, yes, of course. So, okay, so let's say goodbye, and um, we're going to see you guys next week. I think we're going to jump back into these Presidio sessions. Right. Uh, right in, Metal Up Your Podcast Show. You were doing a Slayer solo with your mouth. Metal Up Your Podcast Show at gmail.com. Let us know what you want us to tackle next on the Explore the Big Four series. And uh, we're going to leave you with Lunar Satan and go ahead and say peace. Adios.
you were our advisor, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that.